like it's very very important not to get disheartened like one of the you know we, we had no idea how to do sort of enterprise sales at the start and we sent 250 cold emails to you know companies in berlin and like the one person who replied was Emmanuel from Delivery Hero is the CFO, and then of course we were like, oh yeah, we're in, we're coming to Berlin tomorrow, <laughs> and you know, and then Nicholas Osberg, um, you know, really uh, liked it, and then they decided using Pecan when it wasn't very good, and then we, you know, we evolved the product with them, and that was just like a complete fluke. Find those key customers, and then more, you know, most importantly, work very very closely with them and understand what their problems really are. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. In this, the concluding episode of a two-part interview with Phil Chambers, CEO and co-founder of Pecan, we go much deeper into the value that his company actually introduces into the world and how things like contextual learning targets can improve management teams more effectively and how comparatively high PECON numbers can be used to attract employees to a company. He reflects on their attitude to remote versus co-located, discusses some interesting angel investments, why not getting disheartened is crucial to success in the startup world, and how PECON becoming a delivery hero for Nicholas Usberg was a crucial milestone for the company. I thought about the benefits that the Pecan, uh, you know, might give give me in, in the short time to prepare this, and I I looked at retention, I looked at attraction. That sort of evangelism from employees, word of mouth, yeah. uh, I don't know, glass door ranking, whatever, that attraction thing, uh, work effectiveness. Um, and that's very interesting as well, that sort of, uh, uh, you know, that sense of being appreciated, that sense of, being, of having a, a vested, uh, been vested in the company and, and having some say, some influence on how it's going forward. Yeah. Do you guys have a kind of a, an in, internally as a company, uh, a kind of a stack rank of four or five big benefits that 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 Pecan gives to companies, or does that vary depending on industry? I think it, it varies on the stage of the company and what you're trying to achieve. You know, I mean, there are companies that have naturally high attrition. Um, you know, perhaps if you work in you know more service industries in retail, yeah, um, where you know a couple of percentage points um, decline in, in the attrition is, is like millions and tens of millions of dollars for them, right? So we, we work with a lot of clients in the hotel space, with a lot of clients in the retail space. Um, you know, that's that's what they're looking for. The other the other thing is, of course, in particular, I'll use the same two examples. Um, if you have an engaged, disengaged employees in in a, for example, luxury hotel, then you're likely to see that in your customer MPS immediately uh, oh, yeah. on the front desk, right? So yeah. that they're, and they're very well aware of the link, right? It's, you don't need to scientifically prove that to people. Uh, you're going to get a bad customer experience if you have that. I think bigger than that, though. Um, and maybe one you didn't mention is is ultimately trying to improve um, management in your company. And ah, all managers are different and have different skills. Historically, management training has been um, you know liberally applied with the same kind of brush and gone. Okay, Stephen and Phil go on the management training course. We might have a completely different background. We've all got to sit through three days of the same stuff. Fifty percent of which I know, the other half you knew. What we do with Pecon is we, we provide contextual training. So we say, okay, Stephen, these are the three impact areas that are going to have the most. Um, difference on your team and where you're not doing very well and here are some practical steps to improve the company that we know have worked in other companies very at good. your stage 
So it's the first time that really you've ever been had the opportunity to do context-sensitive learning in the context of your own team, um, and we think that's going to be huge. It sounds huge to me because uh, I guess you know you come into your typical annual review. There's perception, and the the manager and the employee have different perceptions on who how the employee is performing, and uh, sometimes it's very difficult for us as humans to, to see our own foil, to, to our own foibles. Uh, it's probably much easier to do that in, in context uh, and with data. It's kind of irrefutable, and, and I, I assume it's easier to accept. Yeah, and, and particularly on. if you do uh, the process continuously, you, you know, you're not gonna be held hostage to like, oh, well, someone was just having a bad day. Yeah. Because, it, because the trends are much more important than the absolute numbers. It's like, well, you know, is our Stevens team improving? Um, you know, and we've, many of our customers now are actually attaching, um, you know, bonus financial reward to PECON scores. Yeah. Uh, you know, and particularly for exec teams, uh, where they go, you know, they're really holding people accountable to improving this. That's very powerful. One thing that strikes me is uh, I interviewed um, Paulina Montano, who's co-founder of Job Today, and she actually conceived of it. Yeah. Uh, and Job Today. Uh, yeah, I've met, I've met Paulina. You've yeah. met Paulina. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's a great woman, and, and she she came back and did a mini series with me as well. Uh, uh, she uh, focuses, of course, on the retail and hotel, and what you know, what she calls hardcore retail industries, where there's huge turnover. And you know they looked at that. They looked at the fact that when you're looking at a job locally, maybe one you weren't going to stay in forever. Uh, you, that was the one you couldn't get online. And you know she's allowed, she allows video introductions, so people get a feel for who that is. Much better chance the company gets the right person. Better chance. You know, is that a company you, you guys might partner with, for example, given what you do, and given the clients that some of the clients that you have? Yeah, I think we, I mean we've um, we've toyed around with the idea of partnering. I think it's it's quite interesting to to know. Um, for that kind of, you know, what, you know, for the applicant specifically to know, like, well, what is the culture really like internally? Because, you know, you read one thing on, um, uh, you know, on the company's website, you'll read another thing on Glassdoor, but unfortunately, again, yeah. you know, Glassdoor is, it doesn't verify people, so there's a lot of people with access to grind, there's a lot of competitors flaming people, etc., etc. so they've got their own set of problems. I think the PECON score is a genuine reflection of how the employees really feel. Okay. Um, and we now see, um, for example, the, the managing partner of uh, Project A Ventures the other day was posting on LinkedIn, their PECON dashboard uh, publicly, um, so you could, uh, you know, in, in, in the context of like, you know, you should definitely come and work here. And, and here's the reason why. We're in the top 5% of all technology companies in the world. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. So individual companies can choose. You're not really in a position to publish it publicly in the way that Glassdoor does for obvious reasons. Yeah. They're your clients. But that's very interesting because somebody can actually take that if they're winning and, and, and display that to the rest well, of the world. Well, he hacked it really um, oh. and just took a screenshot and put it onto LinkedIn, which is, you know, it's prerogative. And we, we obviously loved it internally and we, we were sharing it around uh, as much as possible. Um, I think, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting direction for the product. Um, obviously, internally, we provide what we call shareable dashboards because, again, we really believe in transparency. So any single manager, you know, within one click can send the dashboard to everybody who works with them and then and also, you know, share the actions that they're taking too. Now, work effectiveness is something that you're obviously, um, you know, influencing in a positive way. Um, just out of curiosity, I, I, I took a look at the profile of the employees in LinkedIn, and you do seem to be uh, kind of a collection of co-located teams yeah. in four or five major cities. Yeah. Um, have you ever dis uh, considered a distributed uh, model? Or we are, yeah, yeah, we are playing around with it a bit, um, particularly in engineering. So we now have maybe uh, three or four remote engineering employees. Uh, and when I say remote, there's two that are genuinely remote. Um, you know, we, so we have a, our Barcelona office with Albert, 
Um, and you know, I, I wish I had his gig, you know, working down there, it's brilliant. Um, but then they, they still, Albert will still travel up to the Copenhagen office, you know, once a month. Um, so we, we, do, we don't do like, you know, ultra remote in the sense sure. that maybe MySQL did it. Yeah. Um, but, but ultimately we know, you know, you need top talent to, to win and not everybody wants to work in one of the cities that Pecon is in. Um, so we're exploring, you know, so for you, it would be very much the development teams, design teams that might fit into that category more than not, the sales. Or not the, only actually. So we have a we have a remote employee, Matt, um, who works in LA, uh, so West Coast. Um, we don't have an office there yet. Um, I mean, I think we probably will have an office on the West Coast at some point. But you know, we wanted to to start selling there locally before we did that. So that, that works well for us. Again, you know, the other, the other thing we do at Pecon is we do um, twice a year. We have a whole company summits. Uh, so the next one is coming up actually in May in Bologna. So we're flying everybody in from around the world. Um, yeah, yeah. Bologna, it's, uh, it's known as the Red City. The Red City, yeah. It's, actually, never... qu it's actually quite an affluent city, but they um, uh, and it actually looks orange when you go there. Uh, but it's 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 probably more to the right these days. But traditionally, it was kind of a, the Italian version of communist uh, communism. And so, oh, great. Well, the guy who's organising it is our director of employee experience, Michael Dean, who is. Um, a you know a strident Marxist, um, but also <laughs> likes Formula One, and because it's quite near Marinella, I think that's why we. And he loves pasta, so it's the, those, those, those the confluence of those three forces that have, have taken uh, Pecon to Bologna. Nothing to do with Pecon itself, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Should I be saying this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he'll definitely find some old Mar Marxists in the city. You know, yeah, yeah. they probably live in mansions, but they're old Marxists. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, tell me your, if you wouldn't mind sharing it. You're obviously on the road a lot, yeah. uh, and you're coming to stuff like this. You're chief evangelist as well as CEO. Yeah. Um, do Do you have a daily routine, and how hard is that to maintain? Uh, it's pretty difficult, to be honest. Um, I mean, I try um, to, you know, spend a week or two a month in London, if possible, like at home. But you know, it is important that you know I and other members of the you know the management team like visit all the offices uh, we've had an office in Auckland for now um, more than a year and I haven't been yet so I'm going in two weeks time they've, they've booked a full calendar so we've got like a packed calendar of meetings in Australia and New Zealand um, uh, but we're also going to do some some fun stuff uh, hopefully some uh, I'll be able to photograph some flightless birds <laughs> oh yeah because you're, you're going off for two weeks now is oh that's what you're is that the the two week no, no, that's a different oh, two weeks. Where are you going? I'm you not going? working in the next... Well, I'm working. I'm filming... My girlfriend uh, is a wildlife filmmaker, so I'm filming a um, wildlife documentary in Brazil. Uh, actually, with a... Uh, I was in Iguazu? Uh, it's um, outside of Rio in the Mata Atlantica rainforest. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it was, it's actually... A, an, it's, it is technology-related, so I met... Um, uh, founder of Ecosia, uh, which is a search engine which uh, enables uh, reforestation. So every 45 searches, they'll plant a tree. They've planted 50 million trees uh, worldwide That's so brilliant. far. Uh, and so we're actually going down to uh, meet some of their biologists and film some of those reforestation projects. So um, it's kind of, kind of a working holiday. That's really cool that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, actually, that brings me on to what drives you personally? Um, that's a good question. I think I like to, uh, I like to, you know, build, building companies is really fun. Um, and I think mostly because of the people you get to meet and spend a, a long time with, you know, who you wouldn't necessarily meet in other walks of life. Um, and it's incredibly difficult, but ultimately, you know, I think I've got a more fun job than most people uh, that I know. So I think probably doing something right. Now you're investing in a bunch of uh, companies, some of them very successful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time on, on angel investing, but, um, you know, I try and support companies in the local area. 
um, because you know we, we got a leg up at the start and I think it's only right that other people do. Um, I'm actually sharing a taxi back with the founder of Accordium. Uh, they've just, they're not very you know, long into it. Um, sure. Now. But so in, in Copenhagen, um, yeah, I invested in a company called Plan Day, uh, which does workforce scheduling. So it's a bit like, again, for like retail, hospitality, um, you know, the one-stop shop for like, when should I be in work? How am I getting paid? How many hours have I done and all that stuff? Uh, really cool organization. Um, there's, I also invested very early in a company called Tonza, which was a bit more of a sort of wacky bet, but these guys, uh, Simon uh, and Peter, thought that they could build the world's largest uh, scouting platform uh, for football. So they have all of the youth players across like Denmark, France, Italy, Germany, UK, um, Norway, and they they basically have effectively scouts every game because the kids put in their own statistics. So it's how many assists did I make, like who was the best player, man of the match, da da da, and then all of that stuff, um, you know, shared on the social network. But then they, they the, the big clubs get access to it to scout, um, and they've done um, incredibly well. Like wow. they've got like you know penetration in in most of these countries, like north of 70, 80 percent of young footballers um, using the app. Um, so that obviously that data again, it's that, that comes back to that whole like data story and how um, you know it, it's so valuable when you can amass these kind of data sets that nobody else has, which are kind of a, some analogies to what we're doing as well. And it sounds like something is not done to the level it should be done in Europe. It's probably more prevalent in the United States, where well, they're where they're where they're <laughs> obsessed with statistics. Yeah, yeah. It, I've just come back from Wharton People Analytics Conference uh, in Philly last week, and. Um, they, uh, they always revert to US sporting statistical analogies and because I know nothing about US sports, it's like, uh, it, gets, it gets a bit tiring to be honest. I wish they'd talk about Liverpool or something else. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's the, the, the one or two things that you learned over your time that if you were to pass them on, you'd pass them on to somebody else? Well, I think uh, definitely just do it. Um, like it was extremely, I mean, although I'd worked in a lot of startups, you know, before I came to Pecan, I did have quite a, plum corporate job, you know, uh, sort of flying around the world um, and, you know, running a, an $850 million SaaS business. Um, so that was interesting. Um, but, you know, but ultimately like jumping out and then having no wages for six months and like sat in a room. I mean, the first thing we did was go to the stationery shop and buy some pens. Um, and then that, that funny sticky paper that goes on your living room wall. And then we, then we wrote it up. And, but it, I've got a photograph of those goals, right? And like, we've now like achieved most of like the core product concepts and the, the goals that we set out for ourselves, um, which is great. Um, so just do it. I would say also like, you're going to need some lucky breaks. Like I think like it's very, very important not to get disheartened. Like one of the you know, we had no idea how to do sort of enterprise sales at the start. And we sent 250 cold emails to, you know, companies in Berlin. And like the one person who replied was Emmanuel from Delivery Hero as the CFO. And then of course we were like, oh yeah, we're, in, we're coming to Berlin tomorrow. <laughs> and, you know, and then Nicholas Osberg, um, you know, really uh, liked it. And then they decided using Pecan when it wasn't very good. And then we, you know, we evolved the product with them. And that was just like a complete fluke. Find those key customers and then more, you know, most importantly, work very, very closely with them and understand what their problems really are. Um, that was a fantastic time for Delivery Hero. They were the most acquisitive startup in the world at the time. They had quite over 30 businesses. Obviously, I think we went in, there were 300 employees. Now they're like, you know, tens of thousands. Wow. They've IPO'd. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it was amazing to see that story um, and, uh, and, you know, be, be a part of their journey as well. Absolutely. Um, it's been a real pleasure, Phil. Uh, thank you so much for giving me your time for 14 minutes of SaaS. Yeah, no problem. I'll uh, run to the airport. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Phil. Take care.
One of Pecan's marquee customers is Trustpilot, whose CEO and founder Peter Millman, who I've just met and interviewed, will appear in a later episode of 14 Minutes with SaaS. But in the next episode, we've Jonathan Angulov, co-founder and COO of a rocket chip called Aircall, the only cloud phone system that has built over 100 different integrations into SaaS applications in 2019. Its mission is to unlock the power of voice. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating. Thank you.